0: Having a genuine connection or trying to establish that has been my way to kind of network in a way that feels comfortable and not as icky to me. There have just been so many examples this year of of opportunities that I've had just from making these connections with people.
1: Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. On today's episode of the Triple H, the Habits and Hacks from Hopkins, we have Dr. Deanna Williams. Why don't you start, Deanna, with telling people who you are and what you do here at Hopkins?
0: Great. So I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Molecular and Comparative Pathobiology. I run a research lab, and we work on HIV and how it impacts brain function We're particularly interested in things like cognition and mental health, and we look at some of the cellular and molecular mechanisms by which HIV impacts these systems. So we look at the immune response as a really big component, blood-brain barrier alterations, changes in metabolism, and also the role of HIV therapeutics, known as ART, or antiretroviral therapies, and how they may benefit or sometimes adversely impact brain health. In addition to the research. Um, I do some teaching through different graduate programs, and then also I teach a summer course for high school students that are interested in medical careers. In addition to that, I serve as the co-director of the Central Nervous Systems League, or Scientific Working Group, for the Center for AIDS Research. So we're a group of faculty, students, trainees that are very interested in HIV brain complications. Some people are new to HIV, some people are established, and the really great thing is we all work together from very different disciplines. Some people are statisticians, public health people doing health disparities work, psychologists, all kinds of backgrounds coming together to answer very difficult questions. Uh, And it's really collaborative and a lot of fun.
1: Oh, Dr. Williams, I'm just so impressed... I, I learned so much from these podcasts, and I just learned something from you. I had no idea you taught high school students. Thank you so much for doing that. I That is such a wonderful um, effort. I love hearing about our faculty who are so invested in our Baltimore community, and so thanks for doing that. We know that pipeline is so important. And exactly. I, I love, also loved how you described the interdisciplinary nature of your work, because I'm also... More and more, you know, a- appreciative and understanding of diversity in all of its facets—age and field and every every component of diversity—it just it becomes so obvious that all of our strengths uh, just um, improve what we do. So, thank you so much for what you're doing and for describing your work in, in this series. We've been learning a lot and listening to our colleagues about different things that they've done or practices, routines, habits, thought processes that they attribute to their success and being able to navigate this challenging career in academic medicine. And I know you have something really unique to share with everyone today, so I'm really looking forward to the conversation with you. So why don't you tell folks what is your wonderful news that you can share with us and the interesting habits and hacks that you've developed?
0: Great. Yeah. I think there are kind of two main things that have emerged that have been really helpful for my career. One of the first dates back to when I was a small child. I've been doing it kind of forever, I think. And it's simply just planning ahead. I'm kind of a person that plans maybe too much, (laughs) depending upon who you ask. Is there such a thing? (laughs) Right, exactly. But I really, really plan stuff out a year or two in advance. And I kind of backtrack where I want to be. And then kind of figure out what I need to do to get there. So, for instance, no one could have anticipated COVID hitting us last year to the magnitude that it did and really just shutting everything down. And while it was an adjustment to having my research lab just not functional, and you know, no one going in for so long, despite having no one in the lab, our productivity was actually increased last year compared to the previous year before, oh. not because of, you know, anything I knew about COVID, but I had just planned on what I was going to do for that year. And thankfully, I could still manage to get it all done. So I had already planned upon which grants I was going to apply for the year before. I had a big lab meeting with my entire group. Every year we do this, where I discuss our plans for the next year and our goals, you know, people that we want to hire, bring to the team, the grants we want to apply for, the papers we want to get out. So I'd already planned on these grants to apply for. The papers, some of which are already in progress. And once we heard around February that, you know, COVID was beginning to hit the U.S. a little bit more than we anticipated, we kind of focused on getting our final experiments done so we can write from home in case that was the case and think, you know, that turned out to be the case. And then once COVID did hit, I was able to collaborate with one of my co directors of the CNS group I mentioned before, Leah Rubin in neurology. And we spent the year just analyzing existing data that that we had already had and and collaborating with others. And we were able to get out 10 papers last year, between last year and now. And three of them, I'm either first or senior author. And then also last year, because of the planning for the grants, I was able to secure my first R01, which is so exciting, especially given COVID, Mm -hmm. Um, I secured an internal pilot from the CFAR here, an administrative supplement, and another small grant from a foundation. So it was such an incredible year because I had plans and kind of knew what I wanted to get done. And so I think, yeah, I think those skills really come in handy. Like I've mentioned, I've been doing this since a small child. Planning out like for my summers after so uh, after school after the school year having summer breaks and planning out what I was gonna learn each day so I wouldn't fall behind. I was doing that in kindergarten. So it's definitely a personality trait. But I also think it's a skill that can be taught and as long as you're consistent it really, really pays off.
1: Well, I I think I totally I mean, you're preaching to the choir here because I am a high, high J and the Myers Briggs myself. I love Nothing more than an agenda or a schedule. I'll come home, you know, at the end of the day, or back in the olden days when I used to go out of my house, I would actually, uh, midday, I'm thinking back and laughing to myself, I would come home on, say, a Saturday afternoon, which would normally, not, back in the olden days, not a working day, but I would come home on a Saturday afternoon, go backwards on my day, and make a list of all the things that I was going to do because I just love seeing the things that I had done and being able to put that check mark next to the items. That's, and I, I love always, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do every day? I need to have that sense of structure and order and it helps me process things and it helps me be efficient. And so the way you described it, you know, being the same since a child and, and I'm again, the same, same, same. I'm equally curious how someone like you who's very planful, even though you said you know, you had planned on re- submitting this for this grant, applying for that grant, clearly you were going to write papers anyway, this big, you know, throwing this loop into our lives, this, you know, out of left field ball, how were you also then able to pivot somewhat from know, going out away from the lab and not panic. So I, I appreciate, you know, the, the orderliness and this being scheduled and organized, but can you also describe then how someone like you or like us um, is able to then be somewhat spontaneous and to recalibrate and not like spiral out of control when we don't have control? How did you yes. manage that? having choice and control in an environment where there's seemingly no choice and no control.
0: Definitely. I think, you know, you make a fantastic point. You're right. It's awesome to plan and think things through many steps ahead, but of course life happens and plans to get messed up. And I think for me, one of the biggest things that I've had to learn how to handle over the years, is just accepting that things happen and not, you know, questioning it, not being upset about it, just acknowledging that this is the case and then repivoting and thinking about how can I make a new plan to move forward? So I always still have a plan in, in, in mind and that helps me not be as maybe fearful of change or, you know, having a hard time adapting. So I recalibrate to make a new plan and I weigh the factors. So for us, when the lab shut down, I met with all the lab members and I said, what do you need to get done? What can we get done? What have you been wanting to do that you weren't able to do because you're busy with experiments? And it was so fantastic because people were going to, you know, work on making this protocol that took so long that they couldn't have done before, or they really wanted to read papers that they never had time for. And for me, I took a lot of time to make sure that I really was able to mentor people to kind of help develop the skills that they may have needed, which is much harder remotely to, to, to some extent, but because we had so much time that wasn't spent doing experiments, we could really prioritize those things. And I think that worked to our huge advantage because now that everyone is back in the lab, they're very focused and they know exactly what they need to get done because they could take that time and needed to kind of regroup and accomplish some goals they weren't able to do otherwise. And in terms of me, I guess, thinking about how I my year. I kinda of spent that time doing the same thing. I really thought about what I wanted the lab to accomplish and thought about the big picture. So for me, I took the time to think about things I never really do because they can be overwhelming. So I thought about budgeting, which is really, really tricky for a lab. For me at least. I'm great with personal finances, but thinking about millions of dollars in five you know, five years, that's a little bit harder. And so I thought about what I wanted the lab to look like, who I wanted to hire. You know, at what year I wanted to hire them. Speaking with my administrators to figure out, do I have the budget for this? When can I hire them? Both kinds of things, and then also I thought about the projects I wanted in the lab, and what I needed to, what funding I needed to secure so we could have each of those projects kind of achieved. And so now I have a new plan based on that, wherein I'm going to be applying for another grant coming up in May, and then I'm going to apply for one more grant the following year. And fortunate enough to get them. Those should really help secure our three main focuses in the group and have stable funding for the next few years because our startup funds will be running out shortly. And I wanted to make sure that we were really, really in a great spot to kind of move forward without any interruptions with productivity and also without losing the staff who are just so essential and we've invested so much time in and we want to make sure that we can keep them on. So I took the time to really pin that out, which normally I probably wouldn't have done to that magnitude because I would have been busy doing other things.
1: Right. So this this is so critical. And you've said this a number of times, the word time, 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 time. And I think, you know, you hate to talk about the COVID silver linings, but because of all the horror of the past year that we, we've we gone through as a, as a community, as a people, as a country, and yet time. So that being forced to slow down, to stop, to me, it further stresses the importance of the good old-fashioned concept of sabbatical. The idea of literally getting off the treadmill, retreating somewhere, or having at least headspace where you can dedicate to doing some deep thinking, strategic planning, thoughtful meetings with team members. To prioritize, like you said. To me, this the circumstance where a lot of us were forced to do these things is kind of like an aha moment to remind us, as our many events, you know, big life events as we go through life, you know, birth, death, marriage, childbirth, it really forces, these events force us to re-examine. And I think what you're describing to me is just so, you know, such a great example of of using time and and how important it is time is that we just are so used to running 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 and while and then hopefully this is something that we can take forward and remind ourselves that no this time spent thinking is just as valuable as doing and so i think you've given a great example of how you turn something negative into a positive and hopefully we don't forget that lesson right
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's really changed how I think about running the lab now, and kind of prioritizing all my responsibilities. And yeah, I'll definitely keep this moving forward. I think it's just been a tremendous benefit to, as you mentioned, just a very, very challenging year.
1: So that's, I know you wanted to talk about something else. What else did you want to
0: share with us? Yeah, there was another thing that I was reflecting on. And a lot of people bring this topic up a lot. And I know it can be difficult for some people but I really need to emphasize the importance of networking. And for me, networking was kind of difficult at first because I felt very uncomfortable just kind of going up to people, asking them for things, especially if they were strangers I hadn't met them before or a famous scientist that I didn't know. But for me, I think having a genuine connection or trying to establish that has been my way to kind of network in a way that feels comfortable and not as icky to me. And so There have just been so many examples this year of of opportunities that I've had just from making these connections with people that kind of just work their way back into your life. So, for example, a few years ago when I was trying to apply for faculty positions and wanting to develop those skills, I participated in um, faculty development leadership courses designed for postdocs. And so there was one sponsored by the NINDS, um, an R25 mechanism, and it was for senior postdoctoral fellows that wanted to become faculty. It gave you a mentor, a cohort of people with whom you could kind of network with and establish camaraderie, and we really got help with planning things out, thinking about a grants, things of that nature. Anyway, there was one participant in this program, who at the time was also a postdoc as myself, and he was thinking about his career station, what he, w- what he wanted to do, we had kind of fallen out of touch for a little bit, but then he moved back to Maryland, and so we were able to reconnect, and just a few days ago, he reached out to me. I found out now that he is an SRO at NINDS, so he's a senior, I forget what the acronym stands for, but he's the person that organizes the study sections uh, for different funding mechanisms. Any review officer. Thank you so much, oh Kim. Yes. Gosh, you're <laughs> and he reached That's out it. to me and was like, Hey, Diana, would you mind serving on this uh, review panel for me? Uh-huh. I know you're a fantastic scientist, have great feedback. And being a new faculty member, you know, it's a really, really big privilege and an honor to, honor to be asked to do this. And it just came from meeting him in this program, you know, having a relationship. And when he moved back to the state, just kind of following up with him. And when he needed someone, he thought of me and reached out to me. And so it was just remarkable. And so for me, it shows how genuine relationships, which are kind of networking, right, but really just making sure that when I meet people, I try to interact with them in a way that feels comfortable to me, such that down the road, perhaps opportunities may come up that you may not have had otherwise. And I've had many examples of this in my career, and it really just... I don't know. It's tremendous. Another example is, uh, I'm sorry, Kim, please. No,
1: no, I'm just, I'm just so, I'm sitting here so happy that you gave that example, that serendipitous thing that Mm -hmm. we sometimes think, Oh, it's a coincidence. There are no such thing as coincidences. And I, and I, I want to hear next example, but I, I also want to emphasize what you just said, The authentic, and you mentioned earlier, like, especially for, um, Introverts, that ickiness. You talked about it being this ick factor. Mm -hmm. Like you feel like you're, hey, how you doing? Let me introduce myself. Let me tell you about myself. And that kind of, you just feel like you're really ingratiating yourself. And and for us extroverts, we're like that's that's our bread and butter. We love that that ickiness where we we get all in exactly. So, but I love that you you found a way. Again, not saying that extroverts aren't authentic because I feel very authentic, but I know I'm sometimes perceived as not being so. But I want to I hear more after this next example of that what is ickiness to you and how do you do authentic? Like how do you literally right. tell somebody out there who's like an introvert going, I don't even know how to how to begin it enough. How would I even meet that guy to know? So give, give us your second example. I want to hear about it.
0: Perfect. So this happened actually as a graduate student I met. A program officer from NIDA at a conference. The conference had requested that uh, NIH staff come to meet them to meet the trainees, and we had lunch together at, at a meet the mentor luncheon. And so each table had one person there. At my table was a program officer named Albert Avila, and at the table it was so interesting because there were a ton of other students and postdocs there, but no one was really talking, and. Once we did the go around the table, introduce yourselves, it was a little bit awkward. And for me, because I had been planning, thinking about my next steps, I knew that I wanted to apply for an F32 as a postdoc. I knew that NIH had this program called the LRP, Loan Parent Program that pays back your student loans. I didn't know much about it, but I knew it existed. And I just kind of wanted to pick his brain. And so I would ask a question wait for someone else to talk. No one did. And so I asked my next question. And after a while, it was just me speaking to him with everyone else around. And apparently it was very impressive to him. I just wanted to get my questions answered. And I thought it was a great opportunity. He was impressed. He reached out to me a few months later to speak at a panel at a conference he was going to. And pretty much since graduate school, we've had a prolonged professional relationship. He's just been tremendous. He's connected me with mentors, people to help review my grants. He's helped me be interviewed on the NIDA website. I've been in programming that he's uh, sponsored, run travel awards to go to Society for Neuroscience. I mean, just so many opportunities. I go to NIDA every year to give a talk to the trainees because he's organizing it. And it was just this interaction Back in like 2010, where I just had some questions I wanted to ask. And so for me, it was very genuine because I didn't expect to get anything out of it. I just knew he had answers for me and I wanted to get them answered. And since no one else was talking, I figured, well, I might as well go for it myself.
1: <laughs> so not only did he turn out to be a mentor, but also a coach and a sponsor.
0: Exactly.
1: And I like how you yes. described that you just had the the courage again I'm thinking of sitting at a lunch table. Maybe some people are thinking, I don't know this guy. I don't know anybody around me. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to, or, or, or I don't even know how to start this, but you got the ball rolling. It's, I, I almost envisioned this as being, you were helping the other students and trainees around the table by asking questions that I'm sure they valued, uh, gained a lot of information from. So he saw you taking that leadership opportunity but being polite and authentic, and um, so I'm sure he, that's how, what he saw in you, and clearly that that was borne out by the opportunities that he helped um, provide to you over the years.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so tell us more yeah, about that, that, ick- that
1: ickiness thing. I want to hear more about like what
0: you yeah. want to
1: see and feel um, from your perspective. Going, oh, that's that's not me. I could never do that. So other people listening can say, yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, so there's two main things. One of the ones is kind of just trying too hard to connect with this you know, this person who you don't know and like small talk. I really don't like small talk. I can talk about a lot of stuff, but just random like, oh, you know, that sure was a good lunch we had at you know, yesterday at the conference, like that is really uncomfortable for me. Um and so when I would see people doing it, I thought it was how you networked and I tried it and it just came off at least for me, not good. It didn't lead to any real conversations. Those people didn't remember me later on. Mm-hmm. And it was really not a, a good way to kind of connect to people. Yeah. So in addition to that, the other way that's icky is kind of feeling like the used car salesman, I really don't like the feeling of being sold to when I go buy a new car. And that's kind of how I feel networking can be sometimes because I'm trying to sell them that, you know, I'm worth paying attention to, I'm worth investing in, you know, like I'm really great. And really I think it's just speaking to them just as a human being, realizing that, you know, we all have things we care about in science, outside of science, and just trying to find what those things are and what relates to me. It just helped me feel much more comfortable and it didn't feel as, you know, icky or, or gross. It just felt like I was talking to someone who happened to be very influential in my field. Yeah.
1: Rather than, you know, sometimes in our leadership courses we say, you know, practice the elevator speech in your pitch or your, think about your mantra. And, and some of that can come up as being like the game show host of, you know, drum roll and you're doing a quick, you know, ta-da! <laughs> And trying to be, you know, emote and act and you feel like, yeah, that, that cheapening sense of like, do you like me now? Do you like me now? Am I shiny and good? Gl- right. Grabbing your attention enough and it's just so kind of like, yeah, you're like, really? I'm, it's exhausting to try to sell yourself and it just feels bad.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I just found it's not a memorable interaction for me or for them because I reached back out to them and... It's clear that they're being polite and they'll speak with me, but they do not recall meeting me (laughs) ever. Mm -hmm. And so I just got rid of that. And I just try to find something, you know, that we maybe not even have in common, just find out what they're interested in. And if I have anything to talk about it, and I can kind of open up. One example was someone in my field who I met as a student. I thought his work was just always so outstanding. And finally, at one conference, he came up to my poster and we began speaking. And he asked me, like, wow, you're really busy. You know, what do you do to have fun? And I mentioned that I really like going to the gym, like martial arts. And it turns out that he did the same martial art that I did. And so we literally now, every conference after, I'm just so happy to see him. (laughs) He gets to talk about, you know, going to the gym and, you know, oh, I learned this new punching technique. And it's just, it's a genuine interaction. Uh, I saw him randomly at NIH one time. I went up to him oh my gosh, so good to see you. How are you doing? And then he ended up inviting me to give a seminar at his institution because I ha- happened to see him. So that's a great example of just a genuine, you know, interaction that has turned into something that's a good CV booster and also a good relationship as well.
1: And it's, I, I, I'm i so glad you're sharing these personal stories because it it is the the ick factor is not only on our part as the mentee, early career, the person who's looking for something, but it's also the ick factor on their side. They also feel that sense of, oh, here we go, game on. Okay, I'll play or not play. And and mm-hmm. and I like the example I, I gave a couple of years ago when I started doing this podcast was my my men my. Not, I wouldn't even call him my mentor back then, but was, uh, Fred Walensky is was my hero in sociology and, and aging and gerontology. When I would go to my conferences, wherever he was talking, I was always there. I just would just sit there and admire him. He was so smart, just would communicate just perfectly. His writing was so clear. And I just really admired his brain and his manner, his affect which is calm, so unlike me, just calm and cool, and quiet and chill. And I admired him so much, and I I went to a, an event one evening that one of the institutions was hosting, and and there he was, and I was like, oh, it's Fred Walensky. it's Fred Walensky. and I was so nervous, and I kind of went to that. Now, mind you, again, I'm an extrovert, so I can talk to anybody, but I was so nervous, I so wanted to impress him and and make him think that I was smart and and I knew stuff, and didn't we? I saddle up next to him at the food bar where the food was sitting and don't we end up he made a comment about the cookies and we started talking about cookies and he was arguing about hydrox cookies and I said I've never heard of hydrox you got to go for the double stuff oreos he's like no 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 hydrox is better than double stuff oreos we ended up spending like 10 minutes talking about cookies and i remember then somebody grabbed him and pulled away and i'm like i cannot believe i just blew my opportunity was revolution talking about cookies. But do you know that every time I'd see him at a at a conference, I'd say, hey Hydrox, he'd say, hey, Oreo, and we would just get into it. And didn't I end up getting my bet well, like one of my one of my best jobs before I came to Hopkins was at Rush University Medical Center. I got that job because Doctor Fred Walensky said, "Oh, you're going to Chicago? Well, you need to talk to Doctor Dennis Evans. He's right over there. He's just walking out of the room. That tall guy there. Go talk to him." And I went up to Doctor Evans and said, "Hey, Fred Walensky told me I should talk to you. I'll move to Chicago." Boom, got a job, and that wow. to me, boom, got the job at Hopkins. So I attribute all of my, most all of my success in life to a conversation about cookies.
0: <laughs> it is so true, but that's really just how it happens. I think, um, you know, one thing we may miss now with our virtual conferences is kind of these casual interactions. Yes. I've met people and connected with them over, like, we both wanted the same honey jar. and was the last one when we had tea or just all kinds of things. Uh-huh. These little interactions are really good opportunities to connect with people. And it just may lead to a really fantastic opportunity yes. down the line.
1: you're driving home just a basic point that we're all humans and sometimes if you just kind of relax take that breath and find a place to connect personally as well as professionally you know that will be such equally endearing and connecting is that how i see you you see me yeah we're both at this conference so clearly we have an interest in hiv and also i like taekwondo get out me too so that
0: that, exactly.
1: That really just cements a relationship and talk about memorable. Yeah, you're you're that one. I oh I know you. You're special because we share the same XYZ. Yeah. Exactly. I, I do kind of, kind of worry about connecting and you know, in faculty development, what you just said, that whole networking and not my whole my whole mission is to build community. So yeah, definitely sitting here in my basement as I talk to you all alone and worrying about other faculty who are all alone and don't have those in-person opportunities anymore. But apparently there's software out there, and I was noodling around just yesterday, spatial.chat and gather.town. Those are both, looks like cool things, and we're in the office checking into those as... It's kind of like a breakout room in Zoom, but it's more interactive, I guess. Spatial.chat and gather.town, where you can go and just have these conversations with folks, like the old water cooler, you know, coffee, coffee break kind of concept. So I'm always looking for opportunities to build community, but you're, you're exactly right. You've given such great examples of how networking organically and naturally and just being yourself can open up doors that will be fulfilling not only in our careers, but also personally. So thank
0: you. Mm -hmm. Of course.
1: Well, folks, um, this has been Dr. Deanna Williams. I'm sure you have appreciated the conversation as much as I have and enjoyed and learned a lot from her. Deanna, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you.
0: Thank you for having me, Kim. I'm really happy to be here and excited and happy to share some little nuggets that I've learned that have really been helpful for me. And I hope others find them helpful for themselves as well.
1: I know they will. And in fact, I just made a note to myself, I would love to have you come back and talk to us about grant writing because I'm getting more and more requests of people who want to learn about grant writing in in detail. We've done a couple episodes, but I would love to have you come back and maybe just noodle around some recommendations for how to write a really, you know, a great specific aims page or any lessons you've learned about all your your wild success, especially on the heels of your new R01. So maybe I can uh, talk to you offline. We'll get you on back on the, on the Faculty Factory podcast. What do you think? That sounds perfect.
0: I'd be delighted to come back.
1: Oh, good. See, you heard it here, folks. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us in the Faculty Factory podcast. Tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, Diana. Bye, Kim.